Hey friends, another episode here at DHP with David Fisher on the Statement of Faith. And this is not so much about the change, because Michael and I recently did a podcast on why the change to our Statement of Faith. But this episode is geared more to our new members or those considering joining the church. So we think you will find it useful to kind of back things up and consider more the content of our new Statement of Faith and how that brings unity to our church. We hope you will enjoy this episode and find it helpful. David Fisher. Dan Schreiner. Thank you for being here to talk about our brand new statement of faith. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's a joy to be back in the podcast studio. It is. Although I think last time we recorded at my dining room table. Mm-hmm. But here we are back in uh, the studio. And uh, I said our brand new statement of faith, but it's actually a very old statement of faith. It was our original statement of faith. That's we're going back to our roots. Going back to our roots. New Hampshire, 1833. Now, some people may be thinking, uh, you guys have been talking about the statement of faith a lot. Mm-hmm. We had a podcast uh, back in November, mm-hmm. episode 139 on statement of faith changes. But today we're just going to talk about our statement of faith, like the content of it, mm-hmm. uh, particularly for new members to, to think about what we believe and to discern what this is for. Um, so thanks for all your work on the subcommittee and recommending this to the, the statement of faith to the elders and working through it and your leadership there. I know yeah. that was a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. It was a good team effort. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of people that contributed and we got a lot of good feedback from the congregation, which I think made it better at the end of the day. I think we did too. Yeah, that was great. So let's, uh, let's just dive right in. What is a statement of faith generally? Yeah. So a statement of faith is a summary of what a church in this case believes that scripture teaches. And it's like the, the core uh, elements of, of, of the gospel or biblical teaching summarized in, you know, a short document. And why, so why is it helpful to have one? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the questions that came up during the process where we were reviewing with the congregation was, you know, do we need it? Do we need a statement of faith? Is it better just to use scripture? And I think that, you know, you can look in history at, at churches using statement of faith, statements of faith, um, you know, you look back in the early Christian church using creeds like the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creeds, as a way of of summarizing and having unity around um, around a summary of biblical truth, and uh, and still being used now today, you know, uh, over a millennia later, and we we use them in our liturgy. Um, so long tradition of using summaries of biblical truth in the Christian church. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I think having a statement of faith uh, is, uh, is something that can protect unity because Scripture, you know, the Bible is a big book. There's a lot of words in it, and, uh, and historically Christians have come down a different position on what those words mean. You, there are even... Um, you know, three big world religions that accept the Bible, careful, the word of God (laughs) (laughs) that, that we would say aren't Christian, right? So you look at like Islam to some degree accepts the Bible as God's word. Uh, Mormonism 
accepts the Bible to some degree as God's word. There may be qualifications, but but still seeing it as God's word. And so, um, so there's a lot of disagreement about what does the Bible say. And, uh, and statements of faith and, and confessions and creeds can uh, help help protect unity and protect our right doctrine. Uh, so, so that's I think those are some reasons. I think one thing that's important about you know that 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 helps other than protecting the gospel is it protects freedom in the church too because of what it doesn't say. Hmm. Because a statement of faith uh, is not going to talk about everything in scripture and so by what we decide to include versus not include actually speaks to what it's okay for us to disagree on and what we we should be able to disagree on peaceably and live in unity together even if we have different views because it's not included in the statement of faith can you give an example yeah so uh you know uh uh we we after long debate decided not to include a provision on homeschooling in the statement, in, in our because no, that kidding. was in the original, right? That was in the, <laughs> the original, eighteen thirty-three. Yeah, and we we decided. No, I'm just kidding. But the but you that's know, a good example. There's different. Yeah, there's yeah. different views on schooling. There's different views on parenting. There's different views uh, on on. You know, Michael talked about views on alcohol in a recent sermon. Different views on alcohol consumption. None of those things are mentioned in the statement of faith because those are things that that ultimately we think Christians can. Uh, disagree on, and we should be able to be unified still as Christians in the same body. You, uh, a particular view on the millennial reign of Christ. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, at least three major views mm-hmm. on that. You, we can, we feel like that we can have a unified church around the gospel, but not say this is the view of Hinson Baptist Church. In order to be a member here, you have to have this millennial view yeah. or this perspective on uh, schooling your children or any yeah. number of things that aren't that aren't addressed. Yeah, and we shaped the article. We 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 edited lightly the article on the 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 last article on the millennium on on Christ's return uh, in order to preserve the the ability of folks with different views to be able to sign on to it mm-hmm. and that that reflects sort of the agreement that the church made many years ago when when you know maybe 10 years ago when when the statement of faith was modified for that purpose so we preserve that agreement as it were in the language of the of the new statement of faith what's your favorite thing about our statement of faith <laughs> uh it's there's so many <laughs> I like the thing that one thing that I like about it is that um, it is refreshingly devoid of modern controversy. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's there are so many things that if you were starting a church today, you would you would want to make very careful that you included in your statement of faith because it's debated and very heated you know, mm-hmm. in our culture today. Mm-hmm. And um, those things were not the same things that were being debated in the mid 1800s when this was written. And so I like the fact that it stood the test of time. Uh, it's not reactionary. Hmm. It's, it's looking at uh, biblical truth in a way that can be said to be consistent over centuries. Uh, so, so I like that. I think that's refreshing. Have you ever dreamed about the statement of faith? <laughs> no. no. Ever talked about it on a date with your wife? No, but we have talked about it, but not on a date. Not we, on a date. We we have a strict policy when we go out on dates to not talk about the schedule, uh, like the or family schedule. Of faith. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Those two rules. Yeah. Yeah. The family schedule. Okay. 
Um, so what if uh, someone were to say, wait, you're telling me, because this is, you know, this is the wild, wild west. You're telling me I have to believe this stuff in this statement of faith in order to be a part of your church. That seems pretty exclusive. Isn't this a free country? Can I belong? Can I do community with you people without, you know, thinking all the same things? Uh, what would you say to to that free spirit? If some, if a free spirited person said something like that to me, the first thing I would do is judge just them. Ask some, yeah, I would judge them in my heart, uh-huh. and then I would, but smile, yeah, yeah, act nice, uh-huh. and then I would, um, to, uh, I would ask them some questions and try to dig into that. Because I, it, I would be confused about why would, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're interested in joining our church, what, uh, you know, there, what, what, what would be the big beef with that? Mm-hmm. But uh, so I'd want to understand, dig a little deeper. But ultimately, uh, every community of faith, whether it's Christian or not, um, a lot, does align around... Uh, certain factual beliefs about what's objectively true and not true. And I think it's actually a good thing to have it on paper because then it's Mm. explicit Mm -hmm. and it's not just something that you have to learn by secret knowledge when you get in the inner circle or pick up through the culture along the way. Mm -hmm. So that's a benefit. Do elders have to have uh, more agreement or do we have a separate statement of faith for elders or leadership? The addendum for elders? Mm -hmm. elders? No, Mm -hmm. that's a good... we don't, and that's a good, interesting question because, in other Protestant church traditions, uh, in some cases there is a higher standard mm-hmm. for elders. But the reason for that is because the view of authority in the church, and if if elders are the ones that are seen as the the authoritative decision makers, the one with whom decisions about discipline and doctrine, where they they own those decisions, uh, then uh, then you. You better make sure that they're in agreement with uh, on on issues of, of doctrine and when they're joining. But because we are uh, congregational and we believe that authority on matters of discipline and doctrine rests with the congregation, um, then we all sign on to the same statement of faith. And so the bar is, in that sense, higher for members who join the church because members are the, are the seat of the authority on discipline and doctrine. And so, so we, we, you know, the elders and the members sign the same, same statement of faith and agree to the same uh, statement of practices. Loosely speaking, I think what you're saying is, uh, is almost an argument for the office of church member is the most important office, and I'm putting air quotes around mm-hmm. office, um, in, the, in the local church. Would mm-hmm. you say that's true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're kind of jumping around here. But uh, with different, just different, just a little Q and A on the, yeah popcorn <laughs> yeah <laughs> late night popcorn on the statement of faith at the Disciple Henson podcast. This this question comes from Victoria Consolo, hmm. who submitted some thoughtful questions. One of hers was, okay, since God has given us His Spirit to help us understand the truth of Scripture, why do people come to different conclusions on some of these matters? Yeah, because I mean we've been talking about you know, uh, and we'll talk about a little bit, some of the specifics of our statement of faith. And we've talked about how we're seeking to bring agreement under clear scriptural teachings. But, mm-hmm. you know, you were at one point, you would not have been able to sign the statement of faith. Is that true? Yeah. Just, just a few years ago. 
Well, yeah. When I, when we were joining Hinson, or you know, when we were visiting, we were were looking for a church in Portland eight years ago, and and I was you know coming from a perspective where I was a little more on the Pado Baptist side, and uh, and prior to Hinson had been at a church that was sort of dual affirming and was okay with what, either position. They practiced um, believer's baptism, but they were okay with whatever position or whatever your sort of baptismal history was. So that was different at Hinson, which was a barrier for us. So dual affirming isn't talking about anything having to do with like the LGBTQ yeah. community. Dual affirming meaning dual practice of baptism affirming, babies plus believers. Gotcha. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, you know, I, and, and, but we really felt we really appreciated the the community. Henson felt called to be here, so I had to do some work, you know, with with some research, thinking about it, conferring with some of my old professors in seminary, and uh, and and doing some reading and talking with the elders, and came to a point where I felt comfortable signing our statement of faith. But yeah, it was there was some wrestling there for sure. Did any of your old professors call you a heretic when you <laughs> told them that you had become a credo Baptist? No, no, no. But uh, but they, you know, they gave me some good counterpoints, and and uh, but I, ultimately, I thought the argument was stronger on the on the Credo Baptist side. So yeah. to come back then to circle back around to Victoria's question, you still have friends, and we have even uh, yeah. people who have preached in Henson's pulpit, yes, who would take a different view on, say, baptism or church mm-hmm. government. Um, but if God's given us a spirit to understand the truth of scripture, like how, why are there different conclusions? Shouldn't we all believe the yeah. same things about these matters? Yeah, I wish we did. I mean, it would be a lot easier if we did that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, let's just and, decide to, yeah, let's, let's <laughs> you and I starting with you and me. Dan, okay. Right? All right. We'll start a movement. But there's probably a few issues we need to talk through first. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be another podcast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that we, we were given the spirit, but sin is still in the mix on this side of heaven. Right? On your side? On th- this side, this this time, this era. Prior, oh, okay. Prior to the uh, the return of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth being inaugurated. You know, there's still sin. We, have, we still have sin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's the fact that uh, we have human minds and God's mind is a lot more complex than ours. And it's, we don't have the ability, I don't think, to fully understand everything that's in his mind. And mm-hmm. so he's he's communicated to us in scripture. I think the the basics of scripture are clear to all, you know, but but we can't know comprehensively all of theology. And so that plus sin plus, you know, Satan who's actively working to cause division to 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 sow discord to cause doubt, um, that all means we're gonna end up having different theological positions as Christians. Uh, until Christ returns, and you know, look forward to the day where there will be unity on on theology, and we will all get straightened out mm-hmm, <laughs> in our mm-hmm. theology in heaven, uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. And yeah, one of the as we talked about this after class, I think it was this last Sunday, maybe a, a biblical example was we would think that uh, Peter and Paul both were filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. but um, you know, we see in the book of Galatians how Paul rebukes. Uh, Peter for really both his his theology and his practice. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't mean that they weren't both filled with the Spirit, though, yeah. or that Peter wasn't in particular. Yeah, Peter would not, prior to Paul's confrontation, may he may not have been able to sign our statement of faith. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but God, God, 
through his grace, work through the church, in this case, Paul, to help bring unity and greater understanding of biblical truth. Now, would Jesus have been able to sign our statement of faith? <laughs> of course. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so, but we don't believe he wrote it. No. Right. Mm-mm. And you didn't write it. I didn't write it. Uh, some some Baptists in the 1830s wrote it, and then it got revised 20 years later. And they Some Baptist uh, singular or plural? Baptists. Baptists, plural. plural. I'm assuming it was plural. Were they big bad Baptists? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. So, uh, so, yes, and we just kind of modernized it and edited, mm-hmm. like we said, that uh, on Things to Come or whatever that last article is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18, um, we added a few words, like the, the word millennial wasn't in the original. We edited a little bit the article on the Lord's Day because we're not Sabbatarians. Uh, or we're not requiring. You can be a Sabbatarian. You can be a. Ha- I think. You, could you be a happy Sabbatarian, Henson? Define Sabbatarian. Sabbatarian uh, is kind of the understanding that y- you are to rest in a particular kind of way. This is a horrible definition, but just like, <laughs> yeah, it's this uh, the loose definition is that they wouldn't do certain kind of worldly amusements and work on Sunday because it is the Christian Sabbath. So yeah. they there's a little bit of a carryover from. Um, I would say the Old Testament uh, a yeah. little bit on how it's uh, observed and kept sacred. Mm-hmm. And even that was, uh, I think, helpfully brought out in a couple contexts. It's like, what do you guys mean by the um, by the Lord's Day must be kept sacred? But we define how it should be kept sacred, which is by yeah. g- gathering with God's people. Exactly. Yeah. And, and observing the means of grace and mm-hmm. preparing for the rest that mm-hmm. remains for the people of God. Yeah. We softened the language based on feedback from the congregation in that article. Yeah. Uh, in order to not so narrowly, you know, create such a narrow um, position where only Sabbatarians or somebody who who's, has a real strong view of, of of the Sabbath would feel comfortable. So we, we sort of softened it and I think improved it in that regard. I agree. Thank you, congregation. Thank you, David Fisher. Yeah. But we're not done with the podcast yet. We just have a few other things we want to talk about. We kind of got into some specifics. Um, in Sunday's class for that's intended for our new members, you broke down our statement of faith into four different categories. Can you just briefly maybe break that down for us so we know how to think about, I think it will help us understand the utility of the statement of faith more specifically if you show us these categories, yeah. not show us, but explain. Sure. So it'd be nice if we could, if you could show us, if this yeah. was a YouTube episode, you could have like a cool a cool chart. Yep. But people can just imagine it. I'll try to be vivid in my description. Yeah. And so, then maybe they'll dream about. Yeah. <laughs> statement of faith. So uh, you can think of all of the articles in the congreg- in the statement of faith as fitting into one of four categories. One being historically Christian, meaning all Christians, uh, you know, for all of history uh, have, have come down. Mormons? In the same place. All, all Christians. Christians. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not, not, uh, cults. Not, not cults or, um, or just people calling themselves Christian, but historically Christian folks who have, uh, who, who, you know, whether Catholic or Protestant would come down in the same position. So about half the articles, maybe more, are would fall into that historically Christian category. Give us an example. Yeah, so of a of, historically of, Christian article of the true God, number two. So about you know basically saying God is is triune; He exists one in three persons. Good. Yeah. Okay. So that's, a, that's a historically Christian. Historically Christian. Over half of our uh, articles. Yeah. Uh, are that. What about uh, the next category? And then the next would be evangelical or Protestant. You can think of these as Protestant. So what are these are? Hist- we believe historically Christian, but they are historically Christian 
in a way that distinguishes us from Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. So, for example, our view on justification, uh, verse uh, Article Five, which is that we are justified by by you know faith alone through grace alone. That's a that's a Protestant perspective. A Catholic perspective would be that uh, that that works are involved and that Christ's work on the cross uh, only takes care of sort of part of our sin. Uh, so. This, uh, as you pointed out, Article 5 on justification, this is one of the many reasons I'm so glad that we have a thicker, more thorough um, statement of faith than mm-hmm. we did previously. Even though our previous statement of faith, I loved, I, I'm a big fan of conciseness, and mm-hmm. I loved how concise and simple our previous statement of faith was, but it was not clear, I don't think, on grace alone, faith mm-hmm. alone, on, mm-hmm. on, you know, some of these, these solas that we hold so dear when it yeah. comes to salvation. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that would be Protestant. And there would yeah. be other uh, examples throughout of yeah. uh, evangelical or Protestant um, articles. Sure, particularly when it comes to uh, soteriology, theology right. of salvation. So the articles on repentance and faith, on sanctification, things like that. Uh, the, so, and that's almost half of the articles okay. is, is, the, is the Protestant or evangelical. And then the only two uh, articles in the whole statement of faith that are anything other than that, uh, meaning where where they they narrow the aperture a little bit more than just historically Christian and Protestant, are Articles uh, 13 and 14, which which uh, cover our views on congregational, uh, our congregational polity, and mm-hmm. our view on baptism. Hmm. And so, if you look at uh, like at Article 13 uh, of a gospel church, uh, that that is talking about how. Uh, the, there's a universal church, an invisible church that is all believers, and that that universal church is made visible in local congregations, and uh, that the the congregation uh, consists of baptized believers. And so that's uh, and, and then the local church, uh, it says in the Article 13, is governed by His Word. So that's in distinction from being like saying governed by the elders. Or mm-hmm. governed by the deacons, or governed by the pastor. It's governed or by tradition, if you want, you know, or, or tradition. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So governed by his word. So uh, and then it, and then it says uh, that the two biblical officers are elders and deacons, and so the uh, the the congregational element to that article is is really that the the governance saying governed by his word, and that being different than, for example, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters or Episcopalian brothers and sisters or Anglican brothers and sisters. Um, and then the other article that would, that, that again sets us, narrows the aperture a little bit from just historically Christian and Protestant is the one on baptism and saying that, you know, we believe Christian baptism is immersion in water of a believer uh, and uh, that it's a prerequisite to, to church membership in the Lord's Supper. Actually, even that sentence, ba- baptism being a prerequisite to church membership in the Lord's Supper, that's just Protestant. It's really just the first sentence. Actually, I would say it's historically Christian. Even. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah because yeah. even Orthodox and Roman Catholic, you would not be able to partake of yeah. the of the Lord's Supper without being baptized. Yep. I mean, their understanding of baptism, mm-hmm. you know, yep. we would say that's not a true baptism for like a Roman Catholic mm-hmm. um, sprinkling, but... Yeah, so it's really just that first sentence in the in the one on baptism saying it's immersion in water of a believer, uh, that obviously sets us apart from our you know pedo Baptist brothers and sisters uh, in different denominations. 
So, oh, so really helpful. And if people want to see this uh, kind of chart, see it for themselves, I'd be happy to, uh, David or I could send, um, send you that if you message us. Um, now, I guess if, if mainly most of what we believe would be shared in common with historically Christian and evangelical churches, why do we even put like the name Baptist in our, in the name of our church? Because it seems like we're highlighting the, like, the one thing that we would disagree with, you know, mm. other Christians on when what we have so much in, I mean, shouldn't we just be called like Henson Christian Church? Yeah. Historically Christian Church? I don't know. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> that might be controversial. <laughs> <laughs> but why, I mean, but for, seriously, why, why highlight that? Why highlight Baptist so much? Because. Yeah, it sort of suggests that uh, the history that sorted Protestant denominations into different categories, Baptist, Congregational, uh, Presbyterian, that they, that the emphasis was really on that issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting to think about that, how, yeah, if, if really 90, you know, 8% of the words in our statement of faith, we would say are historically, pro- historically Christian, Protestant things that any, anyone could affirm. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it that uh, that the 2% is highlighted in the name? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. Well, I, I think, you know, um, to maybe kind of one way to think about it, particularly today when it's not, you know, even in church, I mean, this is not so much a, a discussion on church names because, you know, it's, it's like cool to name your church like the river yeah. or, you know, these more, these more modern names of churches, which Alethea. yeah, there you go. Um, Kairos. Uh, let's do, let's keep going. Let's <laughs> let, until one of us runs out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, I think it's also, it's, it's, it's a, a service in clarity because we have to decide like, um, what to do about baptism or our church government. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of highlighting that, uh, though, you know, we are a church that preaches the gospel and that's the most important thing Mm -hmm. about us, that we are unified in the gospel in this amazing salvation that we have in Christ alone, um, through grace alone, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, but, um, but we have, I think it's actually a good thing in many ways. One of the ways that churches have held on to the gospel is by separating into different denominations and uh, in terms of how they understand church government and some of these other issues. And we, ha- we have seen um, that be a good thing in many regards. I think sometimes the splitting of denominations and churches is always pointed to as a, as a negative thing. But I think historically you see that often it's, uh, you know, like the conservative Baptist mm-hmm. uh, churches in this, in Henson, uh, Henson Baptist church was a big part of this. They split away from the Northern Baptists mm-hmm. in order to remain faithful to God's word. Mm-hmm. And so that, that division, yes, sad in one sense, but also, you know, this is, this is how we held on to the truth of yeah. God's word. Yeah. So I actually, I think that's a good point. I did some study at one point on, on the, the progression of denominations in America and most of them, uh, you know, started as kind of one or two denominations, like for example, Baptist or Congregational mm-hmm. or Presbyterian, and then splintered over time. You know, you can think of it as like a like a the branches of a tree kind of flowing right. out. Um, but the one sort of denominational category that has gone the opposite direction, where it it 
you know, splintered, but now has become progressively more and more unified where churches are merging and becoming, uh, you know, more like merging together denominationally is the Unitarian Church. Yeah, there and you so, go. And, and, and it's for the reason I think you're saying, which is that um, their uh, convictions are so uh, non-existent, you mm-hmm. know, as it were, that of course we can merge versus, you know, s- sort of taking a stronger stand on biblical truth, which in some cases, as you said, can, can uh, through splintering, actually protect the gospel. Yeah, it can be painful. Yeah. But I think it's important to have these uh, discussions and um, to even have these debates. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a debate so over, God, over um, hermeneutics and the interpretation of God's word actually sharpens us and mm-hmm. I think helps us. Um, so we should have that certainly in a spirit of, of grace and humility um, mm-hmm. and, and assuming the best of one another. Uh, anything else you want to say about the statement of faith? David, thank you again for having this conversation. Anything else that we, we didn't cover that you'd want to highlight? I think that, uh, you know, we, we made in this podcast some, some statements about, hey, the you know, vast majority of this is historically Christian, is mm-hmm. Protestant. Mm-hmm. It still may be the case, though, that there are phrases in the statement of faith that folks in our congregation may uh, have trouble with. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so just wanting to recognize that, that one, because the language is older, and we did kind of try to make it a little clearer in the, in the cleanup and, and, and uh, sort of facelift that we gave it in turn just to make it more readable, but it's still old language. And some of the, some of the phrases are older maybe harder to understand, maybe it's not quite clear what mm-hmm. it means, or maybe maybe suggests something different than what it originally meant in someone's mind. Um, or maybe, uh, you know, folks have theological convictions that, you know, that, that they don't see represented, or, you know, they, they see maybe countered in some way in that statement of faith. If, so if, if I would encourage uh, folks at Hinson, if you've got a question or are struggling with something, in the statement of faith, uh, come come talk to one of the elders. We're happy to talk. It may be that in talking through it, there's less distance between you and the statement of faith than you thought. Um, but ultimately, you know, we want to support folks if there's if there's questions or concerns. Want to continue to hear from folks. It's you know, there, it's been a hundred years since Hinson made uh, a substantive change, you know, or a significant change to the statement of faith, more than a line or two. Uh, so this is a big change and want to recognize that sometimes it takes conversation to process through that. So we'd love to talk with you, pray with you, you know, help, help you, help you understand it. If, if there's pieces of it that are vague or unclear, or maybe uh, have questions about. And I know that we, you know, even in our congregational meeting, um, we had some, some time of question and discussion on the statement of faith and even had that throughout in the open forums um, so really appreciated the, the feedback. I think one thing I would add is I think we should be praying that the Lord uses this, this new adoption, this kind of big step that we've taken as a church to bring unity. Um, and there may be things in the statement of faith that you don't really like how it's put. Um, I remember once when we were using the Nicene Creed 325 AD to confess our faith in one of the services, someone uh, commented, like, it kind of seems like the Holy Spirit is like an add-on there. All it says is, and we believe in the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and that's it. And then, yeah. you know, that's all the airtime the Holy Spirit gets. Um, but I do think, you know, it's it's helpful for us to consider that these creeds and these statements of faith are not for liking. 
but they're f- to, br- to consider what the purpose is. It's they are to bring unity around doctrinal truth. Mm-hmm. And yes, if we were if we were to write it, you and I, we wouldn't write it exactly the same as the brothers and sisters who wrote it back in the early um, the mid nineteenth century did. Yeah. But I, it has served so many churches really well, and it's a good summary and. You know, would we want to say more things? Yes. But the purpose of it is for us to confess our shared faith in the unity of the church. Yeah. Is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, I agree. And I think the the statement of faith we have now is uh, uh, is deeper. It has more layers. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I think the elders see it as, as aspirational for the church, meaning it's something that we're going to have to get used to like yeah. an old hymn with archaic language mm-hmm. that actually is really meaningful mm-hmm. once you once you understand it and kind of are used to it um, and communicate something really beautiful we want the congregation to get used to it to learn it um, and uh, and and to see the, the the summary of scripture and the beauty behind it great well, David, I, uh, this has been a useful conversation. I hope it's been useful to those who are listening. Now go and dream about our statement of faith. <laughs> Talk to you later. Thanks, Dan.